Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're going to be talking about the final episode of Girls and Channel 4 documentary The Knowledge. We've also tried the true crime podcast My Favourite Murder for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously, Seriously, a weekly podcast. Normally there's not much space between us actually recording the thing and the thing going out. But as you're listening right now, I'm hopefully enjoying myself in Vancouver. Mm. Uh, So this is like a kind of pre-record, though every week is to an extent a pre-record. Yeah, so Anna's going on an exciting adventure to a pop culture conference. Yeah, a pop music conference. Pop music, okay. Yeah, in Seattle, which is super exciting. Some friends of the podcast there and just an opportunity to go to presentations on things like Justin Bieber's relationship with Christianity. (laughs) So I am fucking thrilled. (laughs) And I'm making a little detour to Canada as well halfway through. So hopefully next time you hear me on the podcast, you'll hear like the glow of someone who's recently had a luxurious holiday in my voice. Mm, Yes, I look forward to that. One thing that is on the horizon in the very near future is our very exciting Twin Peaks quiz. Yay! Yeah, we're super excited for this one. And also a little bit nervous, if I'm totally honest, because it's not completely in our wheelhouse like Harry Potter is. So we need loads of you to turn up and support us and make us not feel like total yeah but it is going to be really really fun it is going to be hard it it will be exciting and a great geeky evening out in our wonderful venue the book club in Shoreditch which we just love we love the book club it's such a good place it's so so atmospheric and it's so nice and you can get food and drinks and everything while you're quizzing it's really good definitely join us you can get tickets by going to seriouslypod.com forward slash events all the details are on there so the first thing we're going to talk about this week is girls the long-running much discussed hbo show girls began over five years ago in 2012 the finale of lena dunham's sixth and final series titled latching aired this week I'm really sad. I know that Girls has been a show that has provoked a lot of discussion and a lot of criticism, some of it extremely fair. But although it's imperfect, it's just a show that I've come to have a really like long running and feels like very intimate relationship with. And I'm super sad to see it end. So I've had quite a different experience with Girls to You, I think, in that I was super into it for the first 
three and a half seasons and then for a reason I cannot remember and I actually went back and read all of the episode summaries to see if I could work out what had triggered me stopping watching it Mm. I just stopped and haven't watched it again but have now come back for the final episode having not watched anything that had wow, happened. Wow, that must for be the an pre- experience. Well, I think seasons three and four were a very mixed bag of TV. My best hunch as for why I stopped watching it was the Richard E. Grant cameo. Mm, yeah, that was a sort of weird plotline. I think, does Jessa meet him when she's trying to become sober at one yeah. of her meetings? So the last episode I remember really enjoying is the one where Adam and Hannah drive upstate to get Jessa from her rehab. mm And that's quite a good road trip episode. Mm, I feel like that's maybe the finale of season three. Maybe, yeah. And Is that also the episode where she's trying to give someone an assisted suicide? Oh, yeah, I think so. (laughs) But then anyway, the Richard E. Grant thing happens. And I don't know, I think Jessa was always my least favourite character anyway. And I was just like, "Mm, not in for this. And just never went back to it. Yeah, so watched the final episode almost like out of context. And it was so good. I think I really, really want to go and watch what's happened in between now. Yeah, I do think it kind of works as an isolated episode. Mm. And lots of people, including Lena Dunham herself, have said that this is more of an epilogue than an ending to a series, which mm. I think is probably quite true. Because when I was thinking about, right, how would you imagine Girls to end? Like, how would it go out on a bang? I think of something like Hannah, Marnie, Shoshana and Jessa all dancing together at a party, even though they've sort of accepted that their friendships are dying. <laughs> Which is what happened in the penultimate episode of Girls. Mm. So that was really what you'd expect from the series, I think, in terms of a kind of bittersweet New York finale. And then you get this. <laughs> yes, which, as you say, yeah, it feels like an epilogue. It's a two-handed drama mm. with a small amount of input from Hannah's mum. But it's Hannah and Marnie in Hannah's new house upstate. It's several months after Hannah's baby's been born and you know, Marnie's trying to help her get used to being a mum and, you know, they're going to doctor's appointments and talking about breastfeeding and, Mm. yeah, and the main, like, emotional trauma of the episode is Hannah's struggles with breastfeeding and she's convinced that her son Grover hates her and that that's why, having breastfed fine for a month, he now won't do it. Mm. So it's really an opportunity for all of Hannah's kind of long-running insecurities and almost weird selfishness to come Mm. out. Meanwhile, her dependency issues are sort of creeping back into the picture because she's completely reliant on Marnie to do everything for her. And I think Hannah is a character who has sort of been reliant on different people over each season, whether, whether it's Marnie in the first season or Adam in the second or Elijah. She really leans on people. And it's interesting to see her and Marnie together sort of trying to work through that and trying to get to a point where Hannah's able to care for this baby on her own Mm. which I really liked but I agree with you it's kind of out of sync with the setting and just the general vibe of all the other seasons of girls one of the things I really liked about this episode is the dialogue between Marnie and Hannah which is so familiar because over six seasons of seeing these characters kind of have these very intimate loving arguments you get into the rhythm of their dialogue Mm. and at this point they're they're having the same kind of arguments like there's a line where Marnie says promise me you won't stop trying to breastfeed because there's a reason that they call it liquid gold and Hannah says well if you really thought that I thought you would at least agree to taste mine which you won't (laughs) so and it's like a very typically them argument it's very familiar to me of their conversation in season one where Hannah's naked in the bath and Marnie's shaving her legs but with a towel on and Hannah's Uh, like are you going to take your towel off and she's like no and she's like but you always see me naked when really it should be the 
other way around. <laughs> um, in this instance, they're arguing about something other than themselves, mm. which really goes to show for me how far those characters have come, how they suddenly are now in a stage of their life where there are more adult concerns at play in their relationship, even though they're arguing about them in very much the same way they always would. So I really liked that kind of development of just like very slightly changing the dynamic because they're not just arguing about each other's bodies, they're arguing about what's best for Hannah's baby. And there are some interesting stages in the episode in Hannah's processing of, as you say, her dependency issues and various other things. So Marnie calls Hannah's mum at Mm -hmm. one point to come and help. And they have this really memorable and very good argument where her mum is following Hannah around the house when she's like in the bath initially and then she's getting dressed and then she's going downstairs and the whole time the camera's just following them and they are arguing about how much of the way Hannah is is her mum's fault and her mum's trying to say like well that doesn't matter now because you just have to get over it because you have a son and you Mm. have to look after him and then there's the encounter that Hannah has with the girl out on the street when Hannah kind of storms out and goes for a walk and she meets this girl who initially she thinks she's been really harmed because she's sort of screaming and crying and she's come running out of her house and she's not wearing any pants or Mm. shoes and then it quickly becomes clear that the girl is just a teen who's acting out because she's been told to do her homework and she doesn't want to and she wants to go hang out with her boyfriend so Hannah like flips into maternal mode immediately and starts like well your mum doesn't say these things because she wants to she says them because they're good for you and you should do as you're told and blah 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 blah. Mm. you see the the click in her own brain she was like oh Oh, this is why. So yeah, it's definitely all about Hannah's motherhood. Some people have said that that's kind of a cheap way to shift a program about arrested development into a gear where it's suddenly the characters have grown up because it's like motherhood is the ultimate shortcut to being like, well, now you have to take care of someone else. You can't just worry about yourself anymore, young lady. Maybe we could compare it to Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I think productively it could be compared to Gilmore Girls. And there was a great piece in Vulture that we'll put in the show notes that does just that. And I think as a pattern, it's kind of worrying right because I think like a lot of things in TV you can see within the context of the show and within the specific decisions the script writers have made something can make sense but when it becomes part of a larger pattern of like seeing this used as a way to make women grow up on TV in general that's when you're a bit like hmm is Mm. this kind of a bit worrying and and kind of not really a, a nuanced way of looking at character development you're right it's interesting as part of a broader trend it isn't fair And it has never been fair to hold girls up as the one TV show that must say everything about women Mm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Because as you mentioned in the intro, girls has very productively for media companies generated many web column inches of hot takes and think pieces. I have to say, about, about what it is and isn't doing in its presentation of women and other groups, as Mm. it were. As you said, some of that criticism has been wholly justified. The show has at times been not very good at race. But at the same time, as our colleague Stephen Bush has pointed out, it's not that surprising that in the, you know, posh, well-off, essentially white world that these privileged characters move in, it's not that surprising that they don't have (laughs) black friends, you know? Yeah, exactly. But what's always been the case is that for peculiar reasons, maybe the fact that the show is written and directed by an unashamedly very outspoken and public woman 
the show's always been held up for all of its sins. Yeah, and I do think a lot of the criticisms have been fair, and I do think seasons three and four were especially ropey. Mm. The last two seasons I've just found to be absolutely brilliant, like definitely the best the show's ever been. Seasons five and six, I've spoken on the podcast before about how much I really loved the betrayal of Hannah by Adam and Jessa as a mm. plotline, not because I particularly liked Adam and Jessa together as a couple, though they do have this fantastic chemistry. For me, that they don't have quite as great chemistry as... Lena Dunham and Adam Driver who just doesn't make sense they don't even visually look right together and yet they just have this really brilliant on-screen chemistry but that plot line has been so good as just an opportunity to explore Hannah's kind of vulnerable side Jess's guilt Adam's indecision all these things kind of coming into play and I'd really recommend going back and and watching those episodes Mm. because they're just so so great and yeah really great for Lena Dunham's acting as well which I think at the beginning of the show people are a bit like is this woman a good actress or not but i think it's you just can't have a doubt about some of her performances towards the end of this show they're absolutely amazing that was definitely very visible to me having not seen any of really the interim as it were mm. last having seen her act like two or three years ago at the end of season three and then seeing this episode i was like whoa she was just so much more in command of everything it was really good Mm. yeah she has some really great really really vulnerable scenes over the last two seasons so i'm super sad to see this show end because i mean i always get sad when things end and i am someone who's like really obsessed with mortality and aging and death so it's probably partly to do with that i remember the first time someone recommended girls to me and i was at university and i was hanging out with a friend who is now my really good friend but at the time i he I thought he was so much cooler than me and I like wanted him to be my friend Mm. and a friend of his came over this very like charismatic camp guy and was like oh my god you must have seen girls how could you have not seen girls Anna you're such a shosh like you've got to watch it and I was like both kind of embarrassed about being called something that I didn't know what it meant and (laughs) wanted to find out what it meant and also was like okay gotta be in the zeitgeist like these cool people are watching this show so I watched it was obviously really offended (laughs) I've been called a shoshana though I did grow to love her but yeah and since then it's just been like absolutely one of my number one shows in rotation one of the shows that I will watch weekly when it comes out Mm. and I've had such a relationship with these characters and it is kind of brings a tear to my eye to see the ways that they have got older on screen and they have changed and the show's been criticized quite a lot for having bad character development but actually I think it kind of sneaks up on you the way the characters develop in this show and by the end they have all of a sudden. I also have hopes that it's the kind of thing that will get a movie reunion Mm. in five or ten years time because I think Lena Dunham and Adam Driver are already super famous. Lots of the other people in it are definitely going in that direction as well but they obviously all really love the show and love doing it so I think it's the kind of thing that with the right kind of production win behind it could get a really really good movie reunion maybe though I think from the way that they took those relationships at the end there's nowhere else for them to go they're pretty much done and I think that's one of the things that I found so sad about this finale was that it wasn't like friends where you see them all walking out of the apartment holding hands and you know that when the screen stops playing they're still going out and living their lives as a group or like the office UK where Tim says oh the camera stops rolling but I'm still here it's not really an ending Mm. it was an ending all these characters basically kind of agreed that their their relationships were over which is real and and probably reflects the reality of many people's 20s which is that at the end of their 20s they're maybe not friends with the same people they were friends with at the beginning of their 20s but I still found it really sad Hmm. but in a good way like it was a proper ending to a show and it was nice for a change I think to see a comedy really end and say yeah this is where this program Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You get a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere Any place is better Starting from zero, got nothing to lose Maybe we'll make something Me, myself, I got nothing to prove Now we're going to talk about The Knowledge, which is a Channel 4 documentary about the secretive exam process that drivers must pass in order to become black cab drivers in London. It follows several aspiring cabbies as they try and make it through the four-stage test, which involves having instant recall of around 100,000 London landmarks and streets. Yeah, so I sort of knew about, quote, The Knowledge, almost in the way that you would learn a piece of vocabulary. Like, I knew that it meant knowing London like the back of your hand, and it was a thing that you could ask taxi drivers, you could say, like, to a black cab do you have the knowledge and that would mean that they would know exactly where to take you in the quickest amount of time but I'd never really thought about that as a concept which is that anyone who drives an iconic London black cab should know that level of detail which is really really insane when you start to think about it something like 25,000 roads and one or 10,000 places of interest no more than that it's 100,000 100,000 100,000 landmarks <laughs> I'm not good with numbers. <laughs> yeah and then I think more roads as well like yeah. it's a ridiculous amount you have to memorize and of course it's not just a question of memorizing a list of names you have to memorize them all in relation to each other yeah exactly so the idea is that they can say to you you know where's the royal society of green grocers or something really specific like that and they'll be like oh mom that's on Leopold street I really loved the way that they all said mom and sir to each other. I know, the whole thing is so formal, isn't it? Everyone was... Really formal. ...was addressed as, you know, 
Mr. and Mom and it was yeah. all Sir and Mom. Yeah. It was almost like, you know, when you are in the army or in school and like there are just specific names that you use. It's not even about like who's more senior than the other. Like the examiners were calling the candidates Sir and Mom mm. and vice versa, regardless of like your station. Which I yeah, I really liked. <laughs> so yeah, the the way they examine this, if you want to be a black cab driver, is you go to what's called an appearance. It's all it's almost of... like Oxford or Cambridge, isn't yeah. it? All the like weird vo- vocab quirks. You go to an appearance and it's a one-on-one exam with you know someone who's already a cabbie of many years standing and you know who was really good at the test when they did it and yeah they ask you where something is in London and you have to tell them the street and then they tell you another street and you have to recite with no hesitation the route that you would take road by road turning left or right etc etc to get from one place to the other and they mark you down for every time you deviate from what they think is the best and fastest route and you know you have to get a sufficient number of points to go to the next stage and you have to pass four stages of this exam yeah and they call that scoring don't they so they Mm. say oh sorry you you haven't scored today or yes you have scored congratulations (laughs) you may proceed to the next level again it's another thing that has very specific language when they're giving the directions I'm paraphrasing here, but like, okay, so right on Leopold Street, forward, New Cross Road, forward. And that just means like the road name has changed, but they have to say every time the road name changes when you're going down it and then comply roundabout. They always say comply roundabout (laughs) to make it clear that they are complying with the roundabout. And then I'd go in on the right, sir or ma'am, you know, like, and then you're there. It's amazing to watch because the level of concentration is obviously massive And they also all talk about seeing. So if you're not able to visualise the route in your mind, then you're not going to do very well on that particular test. So you get candidates saying things like, oh, I'm I'm just not seeing anything. My mind's gone blank. I'm not seeing the route at all. I'm not Mm. seeing that one. And then they move on to another one. Or the examiner is saying, can you see anything? You know, nothing at all. You can't see anything at all. Yeah, just really fascinating because it gives you a window into how their minds are actually working. And it is obviously clearly like something that comes out of the practice of doing the knowledge, which most people seem to do on motorbikes. So some people do do in little cars, which is just spending hours and hours and hours out on a motorbike and just doing these routes over and over again and like literally visually familiarising yourself with the London landscape. Mm. And I think although a lot of people are clearly using maps to revise from at home it's very much something that you have to learn firsthand out on the streets rather than just like in a room revising from a you know a to z yeah and it's clearly something that people with visual memories will do better at Mm. anyway but yeah just the sheer brute work involved is absolutely incredible but then as i feel like we now know that things like uber lyft etc are available We know the difference between getting into a black cab and being able to say, I would like to go to X road, please. And then the the cab just moving off and then you get there Mm. in the quickest amount of time and getting into an Uber and then them putting in the postcode and then them following the directions on their phone. And sometimes the phone directing them to the wrong place. And you as the passenger having to be very actively engaged in, well, actually it's here on the right or, oh no, that's a dead end. You can't go down Mm. there because you've actually got more experience of the route than the driver has. Mm. I never thought about it that way because I'm not someone who really takes taxis or Ubers or or anything very much. So I was actually shocked (laughs) to to realise how, I I don't know why, I just thought that if you hailed a black cab and you got in it, they'd be using sat-nav like anyone else but it's just not the case at all. And I was literally walking around London today just like with a newfound respect for every single black cab that I saw because you think, wow, you've had your appearances, you've got the knowledge, like that is amazing. It's like 
a ridiculous challenge. Like at one point, the narrator compares it to the, the amount you would have to learn to get a law degree or a medicine degree. The amount of pure information is the same. Like, that's mad. <laughs> yeah, and it's applied in the same way. It's not just about recall. You know, you have to be able to navigate the city and respond to things. And, you know, as road layouts change, you've got to change with them and mm. all this kind of thing. So, yeah, it really is an extraordinary feat. It made me think of the Sherlock Holmes story, A Study in Scarlet, mm. adapted in the BBC Sherlock as A Study in Pink, mm-hmm. in which, spoiler alert, the main murderer is hiding out as a cab driver and in the original Conan Doyle story obviously he's like driving a carriage not a car and then in the adaptation he's a black cabbie but what both of them have in common is that the cab driver is this figure who goes everywhere but is seen by nobody Mm. and who knows the city better than anybody and is therefore able to go outside of the rules and do what he wants because he understands the parameters of what's possible in London more than anyone else so watching watching people do that exam I was like oh I see where Conan Doyle got the kind of of this idea yeah, from definitely and I do think although it's you know that's a piece of fiction I do think there is something comforting to me in the idea now of getting a black cab because the statistics in terms of the number of drivers that sign up to Uber or Lyft or any of these mobile apps is so much higher than the amount of people getting through mm. a, a knowledge exam every month and it is a filter and I just think there's something that kind of concerns me about mobile apps because, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but I know people who've had terrible experiences oh, yeah. in, and there are checks and things involved in becoming a, <laughs> a black cab driver that are, are really comforting to me. And I do think, not that I'm someone who gets taxis very often, but I am definitely going to try and, and stick to black cabs in the future because it was just amazing to see, A, the amount of work going in and you want to reward that level of work, but also very reassuring to see that these are like people who have to go through a really rigorous like checking system so that you know that they're like safe people who have worked really hard to get into this job and don't want to jeopardise it by yeah. doing anything dodgy. I once had a black cab driver make the case to me. It was quite soon after Uber had started in London and he said, there are just so many circumstances in which we're better. It's always hard for me to pick one, but mm. he said, if you leave your wallet in the cab, if you call the TFL lost property service and you tell them where I picked you up and where I dropped you off they'll be able to find me Mm. and I will have your wallet and I will get it back to you Mm, which is great which is amazing and he said you know heaven forbid you want to make a complaint or a crime is committed while you're in my cab I have a number round my neck they can find me you know and then he evoked to me you know that ad that they put up everywhere where it said if your mini cab's not booked it's just a stranger's car that was horrific that was kind of like gross and a bit exploitative but But made a point his point I think was well made is that what is Uber if not just a stranger's car Mm, mm -hmm, exactly but also it's worth saying that being a black cab driver you know you earn a a decent living doing it Mm -hmm. so it costs more it costs more to take them because you're buying this incredible expertise and knowledge but it also means for the people doing it it's worth it to them they're not being exploited in the way that Uber drivers are say yeah exactly so a real wake-up call an amazing documentary just Mm. on a human level because you're literally seeing these people like sweat and bleed to achieve their dreams which is obviously a trope of documentaries but like still so compelling but yeah also just really made me think about how I travel in London London pride has been handed down to us London pride is a flower that's free London pride means our own dear town to us and our pride it forever will be. Whoa, Liza, see the Costa Barrows, the vegetable marrows and the fruit piled high. 
whole life a little London sparrows carbon garden market where the costers cry. So last time we decided to have a go at one of your recommendations, which was the My Favourite Murder podcast, which is a two-handed podcast made by Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstock in the US. And it's a kind of new twist on the ever-popular true crime podcast genre, in which yeah, these two women, one of whom is a stand-up comedian, the other one is not, I don't think. Anyway, they chat through true crime news topics and cases. Yeah, it's kind of a blend of like a true crime podcast and a like culture review podcast like mm. ours because it's two friends chatting about true crime cases as though they're sort of like episodes of TV that they've been binging on and they'll be like, oh my God, remember when this bit happened? Yeah. So it's very much in that kind of chatty shocked style but about things that really happened and were real cases it's really fun and it's been going for quite a while now they've done uh 64 episodes Mm -hmm. i think you know quite a lot one thing i will say about this is the episodes are a lot longer than i thought they were going to be well i actually listened to the first one which i know is kind of like a bad thing to do with podcasts because podcasts tend to improve so much and especially in the way that they get less rambly and less long. Often when people start podcasts, they're just like, we'll talk for as long as we want to talk. Mm. And then they like tighten it up as they go along. But I did find that with the first episode. I don't know if you listen to any later ones. So I listened to episode 63, which oh, I both think ends of the spectrum, is Good. just shy of two hours long. Right. Yeah. It's a really, it's a long podcast. Which is a really long podcast. And also because I wasn't really sure what to expect from its format. You know, we got quite a lot of like banter between the hosts, banter between them and someone called Stephen. Not really sure who Stephen is. <laughs> I think Stephen. they kept saying that Stephen is their intern but I don't know if that was a joke or whether he actually is their intern but anyway uh, there's about 20 minutes of that before we actually got on to them recommending each other some new true crime podcasts that they'd both been listening to and they talked Mm -hmm. about that for a while and I kept being like well where's your favorite murder then (laughs) (laughs) which one's the favorite which is I now realise not the correct way to listen to this podcast because, as you say, it's very much a discursive hangout with two friends. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. For some reason in my head, I thought they were going to pick a favourite murder well, each week. Well, they do in, in the first episode. I don't know what the... Gen- Again, sorry. to We should have maybe listened to like the entire back episode of this podcast before discussing it, but that would have taken a really long time. In the first episode, they do say, OK, my favourite murder is this and my favourite murder is this. And I think Georgia picks John Bonet Ramsey... And Karen mm. picks some something that I didn't know about called like the East Area Rapist, which was from no, a town know. that she she grew up in. One thing I will say about this podcast is these two women are, are very different, I think, from us in their approach to true crime. Because I'm someone who's like a complete baby and like literally worries about the ethical implications of everything <laughs> until like the end of the day, all day. Like I remember going to see Room and, and finding Room moving and like wanting to beat myself up about it for like four days straight because I was like, no, this is unethical. This is like someone's life. This sto- this fictional story was in a way based on someone's life and therefore I cannot appropriate their experiences by finding this moving. <laughs> Um, which is obviously completely ridiculous and the opposite extreme these two are much more chatty jovial they will make kind of like quite edgy jokes about the subject matter they're discussing and the fact that it is real life for some people doesn't impact on the way that they talk about it as though it's fiction which can be really refreshing if you are someone who's really really into true crime stories and just wants to discuss them unashamedly and find enjoyment in them that's definitely what this podcast is doing for someone like like me i'm like oh god (laughs) 
Yeah, I know what you meant. I have, I think maybe not quite to the same degree as you, but I do have that kind of, but what, what does it mean? What is it for? Like meta squeamishness mm-hmm. about true crime generally. And I've only been getting more and more thoughts about this as, you know, more podcasts, S-Town, etc. come out. The general culture is now starting to question these things more than it used to. Like, you know, when Serial came out in 2014, everyone was just like, oh my God, a podcast that is really good. I like listening to it. It wasn't really till towards the end of the season that people were sort of saying like, well, hang on who is this representing and what does this mean Mm -hmm. but now I feel like those are the kind of questions that every true crime podcast gets asked right from the beginning Missing Richard Simmons which we talked about before is a really good example of a podcast that was really popular but almost instantly notorious because listeners were like hang on Mm -hmm. quite early on they're talking about the bare facts of the cases rather than representations of those cases in the media so they are more free to just kind of talk about them as though these are things happening to people they know another area where we're different is that I'm like super super worried about us like getting in trouble so I'll be careful about what I say about Uber for example because I don't want to end up with a lawsuit <laughs> and I don't really know how it all works in podcasting but they're very free saying things like well I think John Bonet's dad did it and you're like oh wow we're just gonna say that on this podcast which I mean why not if people are saying that you know at the water cooler then why shouldn't that be reflected in podcasting but also, I'm a bit like, wow, really hope you don't get sued. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think maybe what we're saying is that these women are a lot ballsier than we yeah, are. Yeah, of course. And the- and like power to them for that. Definitely. Yes, and that you should go listen to their podcast because it is really good. So we've picked another recommend from the recommend bin. This is an email from Selma. Thanks so much, Selma, for emailing in. First of all, she just has to say it. Long time listener, first time recommender. She is a Brit currently living in Sweden and she wants to recommend us a mobile game in the style of Monument Valley or Prune. So she says she's going to recommend us the game she played when her Monument Valley withdrawal set in. Called Lumino City, it's a puzzle game about a girl exploring a city while looking for her kidnapped grandfather. It's also crafted entirely by hand, made from paper and tiny motors. The graphics might actually be the best ones I've ever encountered. I believe it won a BAFTA or two as well. Warning though, it's incredibly frustrating at points. And yes, the music is good. So that sounds really exciting. This sounds perfect. And yeah, I'm excited to do another game, not least because you've got a couple of long flights coming up and I feel like this could be a good thing for you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including iTunes, where you can also leave us a review if you'd like. At our website, seriouslypod.com, you can find all our back episodes, plus our specials on Home Alone, Gilmore Girls, Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're seriouslypod on all of them. Don't forget that our Twin Peaks quiz on the 9th of May is now on sale. Head over to seriouslypod.com forward slash events to get your tickets before they're all gone. We love getting a record recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com and if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.